Hello and welcome to the next edition of MDD's Claims Interviews. Today in the Operating Theatre, we have Rob Powell, Global Chief Claims Officer from Marsh. Hi, Rob. Hi, Barry. Good morning. That was quite a mouthful. I was quite worried about getting that wrong. You did it well. So, Rob, welcome to the interviews. We're going to cover a whole number of things this morning, which I think will be interesting to the audience. And I'm going to start by asking you about how you came to be in the insurance industry. So how did that happen? Well, it happened a long time ago, longer ago than I uh, would like to admit. But you, you may not believe it, but actually I was going to be a doctor. I always really wanted to help people and sort of a social calling, perhaps. But then growing up, I liked fires. So after a, a few arson incidents, my mother decided that I was probably going to end up in prison, I think. So she sent, <laughs> so she sent me along to scout so I could learn how to start fires legitimately. And then after some particularly risky incidents blowing up gas canisters... A scout leader I had at the time suggested I needed to know how to put them out as well. So I was always interested in that. But then when I was going to go to uni to be a doctor, which I don't think I was ever going to make, I came across loss adjusting. And that was really at that time about identifying the cause of losses, including fires. So coupled with my dormant social value system of helping people if they were in need, it seemed like the ideal profession, really. So much to my parents' dismay, I ended up doing that. And there you go. That was the beginning, really. Wow. So you're actually somebody that I'm interviewing who, who really wanted to be in the industry. That's a, that's a first, Rob. Well, <laughs> well, probably for the wrong reasons, because like I say, you know, it's all about setting fire to things, which is probably not the right start. Okay. All right. So look, you work for an insurer, you work for a loss adjuster, and you're currently working for a broker. How do the roles compare? Well, you, you know the old idiom, right, that wherever you go there you are so no matter where you go you just can't escape yourself can you really and i i don't think it's a lot different it's still you uh, and i do get asked that question quite a bit but i i really loved being a loss adjuster it's a role that suited me personality wiles and it, it's situated really at the heart of the matter isn't it it's the interface between people who need help and insurers who are delivering their claims promise so you see so many people who are different to you, so much diversity. It's just incredible. Now, if you work internationally as well, which I was very fortunate to do with Cunningham at the time, you just learn so much. Now, remember that saying, loss adjusters are expected to know the value of everything from a shoestring to a skyscraper. It's really true. I didn't believe that at the beginning, but you really are expected to. But I just loved it. I mean, I ended my career in New York after 9-11. Well, I was actually really proud to work on claims arising from such a terrible incident. But it, it teaches you things and it teaches you to negotiate. You know, adjusters are involved in hand-to-hand -hand negotiations or some say hand-to-hand -hand combat every day. Without them, insurers just couldn't function. It's just fantastic. But the insurer gig, well, that's just very different. You know, you see a different side of life, the commerciality, operating, making a profit, dare I say, you know, the pressure on combined ratios, reserving, IBNR, all of those things, I think, I, I really relished. I hadn't done them before I was a, a carrier, and I learned an awful lot about the market, mainly, I suppose, then about the role that insurers play working together in a subscription market. I think that's really underplayed by those who haven't been there. It's a thankless job as well, by the way, for those great leaders out there who do that. And I owe so much to them as well because they were very kind to me, indulging me when I started my life as an insurer, teaching me what I needed to know. 
I, I just loved it. I thought it was great. Unlike loss adjusting, which is more eat what you kill. Whereas, of course, as an insurer, it's more collaborative and being more of a team player. And I suppose that's another skill I probably hadn't honed at all. And then broking, well, who knows, right? I never expected to be a broker, but it, it did do me a big favor, actually, because it returned me to my grassroots in a way, spending far more time with clients, working in the gray areas of coverage in a world of what's possible, I suppose, as to what's probable and working with some amazing people. I hadn't realized that broking was so entrepreneurial and yet so client focused. So it, it, it really was an opportunity to spend more time with clients and give them advice. And it makes me feel valued. Definitely makes me get up early in the mornings, that's for sure. So not a lot different, as I say, wherever you go, there you are. I think there's some great comments there, Rob, and the passion for the industry comes through in, in what you say and your comments about the World Trade Center really resonate with me. I remember meeting up with you in, in New York and talking about the challenges that we had to face and how we managed our way through them. And in probably the most desperate of times, came out of it with solutions that really work for, for both the market and, and their clients. So in another way, something else to be very proud of. So from a personal experience, working at Marsh, it's a great company to work for. What do you enjoy most about working there? Well, Marsh is a big place and I hadn't ever before worked in a company of the size of Marsh. And yeah, I'll be honest, I mean, I think the first year I struggled with the size of it, really, and making those personal contact points. But that's now actually what I love most. We don't make anything. You know, we don't make widgets or machinery. And it not it remarkable that a company can be this size purely because of the people? And that's what I love. It's just about people. All we're really selling is people. And we're not even selling the people. What, what they're doing is giving clients advice, advisory advice on how to manage their risk. And it's sort of infectious because we've got people who can do almost everything. You know, somewhere there's someone who knows that many, many things you don't, but in almost every subject. And I, I just love that. It's not that you're expected to be the best person in the world at anything because you can garner around you a, a project with other people in the team who will deliver. And one of the things I have learned is that doing things together is just better. You know, we win when we work together. And when I work in a team environment, it just overwhelms me. I'm always moved by how great we feel and sound when we're doing things together. It's almost like the, the smaller components of a big machine. I, I just love that. And that's, for me, why I love it. And as I said earlier, it gets me up in the morning. It's terrific. So you recently became Global Chief Claims Officer. You must be extremely proud. Tell us about it. I am, actually, and that's a great word to use. I'm, I'm really proud. But I also have to pinch myself because I can't believe that Marsh has really entrusted me to do it. And, you know, that, that still seems remarkable to me. I was reading recently about imposter syndrome. A friend of mine in the market actually said that about himself. And I, I was reading about it somewhere else. And I read that 70% of people have at some point in their career had imposter syndrome. So, you know, if there are days now when I do feel undeserving of my role, then probably it's not unnatural. But when you have doubts, particularly now with the COVID situation, we're all working from home. I just realize I think that it's a matter of adopting a more positive mindset and working, as I said earlier, with a great team. I'm just really aware that I can't achieve without everyone achieving at the same time. 
So yeah, I'm really proud actually. And I feel more than ever that one of those leadership skills of representing others, you, you work your way through your career and do what you do probably for you, I guess, very self-centered, but then you get to a position when you realize, actually, I represent a lot of people and my job is to look after them and make sure they have a voice. And I really love that too. Well, I know that the people who know you well, like myself, are delighted for you and, you know, very, very much deserved. So well done. Tell me, you know, on the same lines, what is it that you enjoy most about being a leader? I think helping others to learn. I mentioned earlier that a long time ago, I went into scouting because of my love of fires. When I was a scout, my leader at the time taught me a memory mind tool. A bit weird, actually, but how to remember the nine leadership skills. I can still remember them to this day, actually. It's sort of a mnemonic and a a story behind each one. But number three is helping others to learn. And I always loved that one particularly. It sort of goes a bit like this. It's a rhyme, right? So it's three tree helping others to learn. So it's a tree. And if you think about a tree in a forest, there's a leader underneath it teaching a young person how to tie a knot, a reef knot. And with that image of teaching a skill to someone who will always remember it for all of their life, it's just so powerful to me. There are no awards, no praise, no boastful speeches by the leader. It's just that quiet moment, one-to-one with somebody, and it exists in that space and time. But helping others to learn, I think it's something we all need to do. And, And that is where I get my rewards. I just love that. It's the best. That's that's great. Absolutely great. So just a little bit more about Marsh. You're in this new role. Have you got any particular plans for the future at Marsh that excite you that you can tell us about? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, in terms of the bigger picture, the way I see broking clients moving to a world where they need more advice, more advice than ever about their risk identification and risk transfer. I mean, risks are changing. You know, the nature of risk is different. A few years ago, people thought of fires, business interruption, etc. And of course, now their biggest risks are things like social media or cyber, right? I mean, adverse comments, social media, it can kill you. I mean, you know, your share price can be in free fall, you could not survive. And you know what it's like with the surveys. You know, even nowadays, if you want to go to a restaurant, you look at how many stars it's got, or who said it's good, bad or ugly. But that's the nature of risk. And Broking, I think, is moving into that new world where we spend far more time as advisors than perhaps historically we would have in placing risks by hand. You know, those wheelie cases going around London, for instance, I mean, those days, I think, are done. And we need to be there before as a claim. I'm a claim guy, right? But it's not just after the event. You know, you've got to retard, if you like, that point of contact with clients and give them more holistic advice and be connected. I see us not in silos. One of my bosses, Flavio Piccolomini, great guy, right? His comment is that you don't need business cards with titles. We're all leaders at Marsh. And that's what clients want. They want simplicity. So I think the future is they're just looking for one access point to a company. They don't want lots of vendors. They want to go to one spot and and get in, really. And they, they don't want to learn the mechanism of how companies work or how you're structured in silos and segments. And I think that's great because when we look at all of those things together, we need to innovate, we need technology, we need people who are different to us. You know, there's that great saying that you can't be diverse in your thinking unless you've got diverse people. Otherwise, all the ideas are the same. So that's winning, isn't it? It's getting all of these different ideas together. It's really exciting. And 
when I think about how we do it, we look at our human capital base. We look to redesign it for the future. We've all looked probably with horror at some of the things that have happened in the world over the last year. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement is a catalyst, which I think hopefully has woken us all up to some of the injustices or the many injustices, including gender and racial issues. I'm just really proud that we're addressing these seriously in our organization at Marsh. But that for me is the future. It's bringing all of these diverse ideas and people together, giving advice to clients, which is different to the way it is now. So it's, you can imagine placing not being the same, placing kind of going to lend itself to more automation in the future. And yet clients will need far more technical advice than ever before and joined up from the beginning to the end. And I think that's where we will end up being. So exciting times to be in Broking. Very much so. Very much so. So you're surrounded by claims people, Rob. Tell me, what do you think makes a great claims handler? Apart from the ability to drink in a wine bar, or they were the old days perhaps, right? I don't know really. I mean, I think it would be arrogant to say that there's one thing for me anyway, but empathy, I suppose I would start with that. Patience, the ability to connect with humans, understand them, communicate. I guess all of those virtues will help. Ultimately, you know, I think the human touch is probably the most important for me. With just a, a desire to treat others as you want to be treated yourself. We've seen through COVID, I don't really want to talk about the technical issues of COVID claims, but we've seen, even if you read the press, the angst of clients desperate to get claims paid and the insurers who are on the other side of that feeling where well, we didn't expect this situation or whatever that may be. It's challenging for both sides, perhaps. But being able to communicate and articulate your position, I think, is crucial. And when I look at some of the the best claim handlers out there, and there's some terrific guys, right? But it's just the way they communicate the issue upfront and early and win friends. I mean, there's a great expression, isn't it? That you don't divorce someone you love, right? But if you think that a bit a stage further, you know, you don't sue a friend either, right? So you don't litigate against someone you like. And I think there's some sense in that. And and when you can connect as a human and have empathy and articulate a position. I think that's probably the way to go. And that for me makes the great claim handlers. Well, after everything you've said, if I was a claimant and I had a claim, I'd be more than happy to have you advocating on my behalf because we share a lot of the same values, Rob. So great stuff to hear. You should come back to advocacy, Barry, anytime you want. I think things have moved on a little bit, Rob. There's always a time and I sort of feel I've had my time there. I'm enjoying doing other stuff now. And one of those things is interviewing you. So I'm happy to keep in this space now. So look, you know, we've all had influences on our life. I can tell from the way you talk and some of the things you've mentioned that clearly there's been some great influences on, on your life. But can you tell us about any of those in particular and why they've been great influences? Oh, boy, that's an impossible question, isn't it? I mean, everyone I've ever met, I think, has influenced me in some way. I don't know. I mean, I suppose I better mention my wife, right? Janine is definitely the biggest influence because she may even listen to this. So let's start with that. And she's taught me off the odd ledge or career ledge, at least. Difficult, right? I mean, when I think back to the beginning of my career, I started life in claims, but then in a commercial department at General Accident, which is now Aviva. There was a guy there, Keith Davis, who really put me in my place because I was probably very young and very arrogant, more than I am now. So he just taught me from the beginning that, you know, you've got to learn the grassroots of everything in the business. I hated that, but without that learning and humility of having to really make up files and ledgers and so forth, I wouldn't have had the foundation that took me to 
the other levels. Even later in my career, when I came to London, working at exchanging, learning how Lloyd's works and the class system and things like that. I mean, those are sort of skills that have stayed with me and I've really valued them. But individuals, probably everyone, you know, as an adjuster, I work with David Piggott, who I know you know. I mean, you know, he was a huge influence to me and he had the confidence just to let me handle major losses. He had a light touch managerial but he empowered me and, you know, he was there for support. So big influence in my adjusting time. As an insurer, so many, I guess. Well, let's name one, right? Mike Gillard at Liberty, for instance. I mean, he was a guy who, 9-11, when I was in New York, he didn't know me. He was one of the big insurers at the time. Came to New York, wanted to see me as, as a loss adjuster because we didn't know each other. One of the world's largest claims. And, and he, he was a, a great leader. And yet, for some unfathomable reason to me, I convinced him that I was up to the job. So, you know, that was it really. And he's been a fantastic mentor ever since and one of the, the true greats of insurance. And he's not alone. There are many out there like that. So many people, Barry, really difficult to mention and tons of lawyers I've worked with as well. I mean, one served the Lloyd's market and London market for years, Ken Erickson, who's retired now. He was uh, at Ropes and Gray. Ken taught me things I should not do. Let's put it like that. And, and, you know, what a great experience to work with a guy like that. One of the most articulate insurance lawyers I've ever known. And I'll never forget the pointers that he gave me and his mentorship. More recently, whilst at Marsh, there have been many influences. And when we integrated with JLT, I knew they had some terrific leaders, but I've now worked closely with many, particularly Lucy Clark, one of my immediate bosses. And she's just incredible with a unique, caring and passionate style. And there's also Mark Drummond-Brady, who's recently mentored me and helped me enormously in my role transforming claims. I've also worked closely with two CEOs. We've got one in North America, Martin South, and internationally, Flavio Piccolomini. They've both given me support and advice, which has just been invaluable. I guess I've learned that you can't never stop learning. You just keep going and keep evolving. But yeah, great influences, and they've all helped me. Well, you mentioned some really great characters there. Some of them I've known myself. And of course, you've mentioned the other half of the PAL double act, Janine. And maybe I need to interview Janine at some stage and get her read because she's had her own great career in the insurance market. And I'm sure she's got some great stories to share with us. In terms of your career, I, I'm sure like everyone's, there's been high points and low points. Is there any anything in particular that you can tell us about any of those? Well, you really narrow it down at high and low. I mean, high, I guess now, if, if I'm not at the high now, I probably never will be. It's the opportunity to feed back knowledge I have or knowledge I've stolen over the years and, and try and grow something special. So I, I think I'm where I need to be. And I love that. I love the support I get. So this is definitely the high. The low, I was working in the US and I was at work one day and the FBI had come to the house because they wanted to put my wife and kids into protective custody and a witness protection program because of an insurance claim. And I suppose that was a low, that sort of the reality that there can be a, a more difficult side to what we do as well. And that was tricky. And we obviously overcame that. But I mean, it was not the best of days for sure. So yeah, those are the two spectrums. It feels to me like most of us have been offered police protection at one time or the other because of claims that we've got involved with. So uh, I, I can't really reveal the details of my own experience, but that one with you anyway. Well, this this is one where they were taking them away, and you know even I wouldn't know where they were. That was even worse. Well, it's tough, but you came through it, and look where you are today. So great to hear that little story anyway. 
So in terms of your own aspirations for the future, where, where do you want to get to? I want to go back to work, actually. I've been at home for a year, so that would be a great aspiration. I'm, I'm going in next Wednesday to interview someone. I've done a few odd days, but I don't want to be too flippant with my answer. But one of my bosses, Lucy Clark, is in the office quite a bit. Lucy's head of placement and specialty for Marsh. And I had lunch with her and some other good friends of mine on her exec in our boardroom the other week and I just really really loved it so my aspiration is to be back in work so I can see people face to face because there's just no replacement for that really but I think seriously giving a better client experience that's an aspiration to me it's exciting in claims right now we're looking to connect placement claims mentioned AI a bit earlier insured tech and so forth and just looking at our talent as well. I've got an amazing opportunity to look at the world of claims throughout Marsh globally and at how we look at those gaps, the talent density, the gaps, the diversity, how inclusive we are. All of those things, I think, are, are challenges, even so far as the wider picture, right? social media, cyber, etc. these new emerging things, renewables. It's brilliant stuff, right? And if, if you can't get excited about that in our business, then blimey, what's left? So those have been my aspirations, really bringing those things together into something new. Cool. All right. Enough about work. Let's talk about what you do outside of work and what you enjoy most. So, so tell us about that. Well, I suppose my main hobby is sailing, actually. So I've got a boat, small boat, tiny boat, let's put it like that, on the East Coast. So I like sailing with my wife, I sail with friends periodically, but most of the time is with Janine. So we go to the marina and sail the boat. And those are the happiest days with her or with the family. It's just great. So love that. And we spent quite a bit of time on it. And she's turned out to be a better sailor than me. How about that? No surprise. I just had this vision of the two of you sailing off into the sunset one day. Yeah, well, you know, uh, there are sort of comparisons to canal boats, right? But it's not a canal boat, but it's good. I mean, sailing on the North Sea is challenging, but it's fun. So uh, now to the fun bit, we're going to do a quick test. I'm going to throw some words at you. I want you to try and give me a quick answer in terms of the thing that most resonates with you. So, you know, if you've heard any of the other podcasts, you'll know that some people want to give me a long explanation. I don't really want a long explanation. Let's see how we get on. So TV or radio? Radio. Radio. Oh, BBC or ITV? BBC. Meat or veg? Meat. Yeah, that's a proper answer. (laughs) Now the interesting one that's got me excited over the last few interviews, work or holidays? Oh, that's unfair. Come on, work or holidays? Well, I, I should pick holidays, but history isn't kind to me. and I tend not to take all mine, so I'm going to go for holidays. I can't say work, but, you know, that's difficult. There's a growing number of people who holidays seems to be the answer. So, But I guess we're all working hard to achieve those holidays. Tough one. Lloyd's or companies? Oh, Lloyd's. There we go. Oh, well, my favourite one, 1980s or 2020s? Oh, 80s because of the music and my fitness at the time. <laughs> I had one person say the 2020s yet. So we're all living in the past, Rob, all living in the past. And finally, Harley or Porsche? Porsche. Porsche. Oh, well, you won't make Martin Clark happy. You're the motorbike man. Well, I'd love to make Martin happy, but, um, you know, if he's got a Harley, well, I'll be scared of him anyway, so... Yeah, he has got a Harley, I can tell, and I've heard it roar down the phone. So uh, there we are. Right. You've been great on the the interview, Rob. I, I mean, some really insightful and I think very personal reflections on what's most important to you. But I wonder if you'd not been in insurance, what career would you have done? I'm wondering, you're going to tell me you were going to be a doctor, but would you have been something else? 
apart from the arsonist sitting at Her Majesty's Pleasure in Wormwood Scrubs. I think a lumberjack, actually, or a mountain guide. I've always, I always actually wanted to be a lumberjack. My parents taught me out of that at a really early age, but I've always had chainsaws and um, always been lucky enough to have trees to cut down. So, you know, that's still a, a big love of mine. Nothing better than being outside, cutting trees down and logging them up. Or a mountain guide. I love outdoor mountains and mountain sports. So one or the other, I guess, but I don't know. That would keep me happy. You are a great character. You are one of the market characters that we're very fortunate to have in insurance claims these days. You've been a superb servant to the industry. You've still got plenty of mileage left in the tank. It's been really enjoyable talking to you. And I absolutely wish you every continued success at Marsh. They're very lucky to have you. It's been great to talk to you, Barry. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. (laughs) 